We're going to talk about the Omer today. So let's start by counting the Omer. Nathaniel? Blessed also Yehovah our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with your commandments and commands us to count for ourselves the Omer, a Sabbath of Sabbath, and from Monday from first fruits to several oaths. Today is the seventh day of the first week, is day number seven. seven. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nathaniel. So, first off, there's nothing in the scriptures that says to count the Omer. The only place the word Omer is used is in the context of manna. It specifically says when it's talking about manna, and it's describing what an Omer is, that an Omer is a tenth of an ephah. Then, when we have all of the rest of the sacrifices and so forth, they are given in tenths of an ephah. Hence, you can figure out that we're dealing with Omer. So, daily sacrifice comes up with a tenth of an ephah of fine flour, and then Shabbat is two tenths of an ephah, double portion. The other thing about the Omer is this sequence of 7 times 7 plus 1. And again, all of you know that that sequence occurs twice in Scripture. You have 7 times 7 plus 1 that we are going through right now. And as Nathaniel said, we are on day 7, the first week. There's also the Yovel, the Jubilee. And you have a sequence of 7 years times 7 years plus 1. What I'm going to suggest to you, obviously, is there's a pattern there. And the pattern is moving from slavery to freedom. So if you look at the sequence in Exodus, what happens is the first day of Omer starts when the priests cut the wave offering, which is barley. And you move to the wheat harvest, and that's where we get to Shavuot, or Pentecost. Barley is regarded, because it is, as a cruder food than wheat. And in fact, what happens is it's animal chow and it's slave chow. So you don't give the best stuff you got to your slaves and you don't feed the best stuff you got to your animals. So barley is animal food and wheat becomes human food. And of course, in the sequence of Exodus, when we get taken out of Egypt, we were slaves. So there's a process of going from being a slave to being free. That doesn't happen automatically, and it doesn't happen instantly. There's a process there. And if you remember, when they go out of Egypt, it specifically says that God didn't take them the shortest way. Why? Anybody remember? They might fear going to war, and they might decide uh, better to go back than it is to face the Egyptian army out here. And that, by the way, happens at the sin of the spies. In fact, it happens several times in the wilderness. They get hungry. Oh, why did you take us out to starve? We had lots of food in Egypt. They get thirsty. Are there no graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out here to die? 
They get ready to go into the land. Oh, there's giants in the land. You took us out of Egypt where everything was nice and comfortable and you've set us out here to be killed. Notice a pattern there. They still have a slave mentality. So theoretically, the 50 days from the Exodus to Sinai was designed to progress them from slavery to freedom didn't work. It takes 40 years to do that process. So it's a long process. Okay, so how did we get here? How did we get into slavery? Well, like everything else, it starts at the garden. And if you'll remember, the woman listened to the snake. Now, there's a real woman and there's a real snake, so I don't want to spiritualize this too much. But what on earth is a woman doing taking theological advice from an animal? Does that sound kind of dumb to you? An animal comes up and starts talking to you and you start taking theological advice from an animal? What I will suggest to you is that is what Paul calls the flesh, our animal nature. So when you're paying attention to your animal nature, what you wind up doing is you do what you want as an animal, if you will, instead of what God tells you to do. And what you wind up doing then is you wind up selling yourself back into slavery. So when you start listening and taking counsel of the flesh or your animal side, what winds up happening is you enslave yourselves. That's how we got into this mess in the first place. And you'll notice when the Israelites are in the wilderness, every time they complain and say, we want to go back to Egypt, it's because of something in their animal nature that is going wrong. They're hungry, they're thirsty, they're afraid. So every time they take counsel of the flesh or their animal nature, they head back into slavery. Now, you remember that the other sequence of 7 times 7 plus 1 is the Jubilee, and that's 50 years. And the idea there is at the end of 50 years, you have a great reset. And what happens is everybody gets set free, the slaves all get set free, and they all go back to their patrimony, the land that was divided unto them by Joshua. So every tribe and every family has got a place to live. Over the 50 years, what happens is people go broke. They have to sell their land in order to survive. People get cheated. You have all sorts of things happen that causes people to lose their land. And what happens every 50 years is God does a great reset and puts everybody back in the land where they're supposed to be. And the idea here is, of course, the land is the ultimate source of wealth. That's where all wealth eventually comes from. Now, let me actually take a sidebar here. One of the things that happens in human society is as things go along, the clever or the ruthless wind up running the table and having all the power and all the wealth. It happens. That's the way we are. So what God says is, at the end of every 50 years, what we're going to do is we're going to reset everything so that everybody goes back to his patrimony. What does not happen is he doesn't tell the wealthy, all right, you also have to give back all your money. That's not part of the deal. 
If you have gotten wealthy over that 50 years, you've got to give the land back and you've got to free the slaves, but you get to keep your bank account. So it's not a complete everybody goes back to zero reset. It's a reset back to your patrimony. And the reason for that is because over time we screw up, we lose our patrimony, we go into slavery, and every now and then, 50 years, God has to reach in there and reset stuff. Now, that's a source of great comfort. Because what it says is, over time, everybody messes up. And what God says is, no matter how badly you have messed up, there is a point at 50 years where you get put back and you get to start over. That's a big deal. In other words, in Israel economy, slavery is not something you are. Slavery is something you do. So you may have gotten yourself all messed up, you may have committed crimes, you may have fallen into debt, all sorts of bad things may have happened to you, or you may have caused bad things to happen to yourself. It works both ways. But what God does is periodically reaches in and say, okay, you're all messed up, here, let's put everything back and start over. That's a very hopeful thing. Now, 7 times 7 plus 1. The entire created universe is represented by six. Front, back, left, right, top, bottom. So the entire creation is six. Seven then represents one of two things, depending on context. It can represent the center. Okay, You have left, right, up, down, back, front, and then center. That can be the seventh. Or it can represent outside of the creation. So God sets his Shabbat at the seventh day. So that's the day we step out of creation and into God's presence in time. So the idea here is at the reset everything goes back to neutral and you get to start over. Now seven times seven plus one the plus one then represents a new beginning. That's what the numbers mean. In fact, I, there was an interesting article I read. Some lady was defending the authenticity of the book of John, with which I agree. I don't have any problem. But what she was doing is she was saying, John remembers all these details. He must have been a reporter. And he says, like these numbers. They're just random numbers. They don't mean anything, but John remembers them and writes them down. And I said, oh, I, I like the fact that you believe the book of John, but you're sort of all full of cornflakes on the numbers. The numbers do mean stuff. So anyway, the other thing is that the counting of the Omer and Yovel is given to us after the sin of the golden calf. If you look at the sequence in Exodus, you have everybody come out, they stand at the foot of the mountain, you get a set of laws. Then Moses goes up and gets the tablets, and then while he's up there getting the tablets, Israel starts dancing naked around the golden calf, saying, we need to get back to Egypt. Animal nature again. God says, out of the way, Moses, I need to destroy them, I'll start over with you. Moses says, no, I'm not going to do that. So he comes back down breaks the tablets, and we start over. 
And then you have a process of, he goes back up to the mountain for 40 days, he stays out in the tent for 40 days, but at the end of that, what you have is Yom Kippur. And that's where God accepts their repentance. That's also the day when Jubilee starts. So again, the idea is this is a process of you have messed up, you have listened to your animal nature, I am going to bring you back and I'm going to forgive you. Now, as I said somewhere in this, gaining freedom is a process. And it's a process that you have to repeat over and over and over again. So let's look at the United States right now. By the way, does anybody know what the inscription was on the Liberty Bell? Proclaim freedom throughout the land. You know where they got that? Leviticus. And specifically, if you read Leviticus, it says in Leviticus 25, On the Day of Atonement you shall sound the trumpet throughout all your land, and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. So the guys that put this together knew their Bible. They knew what they were doing. And as I'm very fond of saying, Thomas Jefferson was a hippie, and he screwed up John Locke. So when he says life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, what Locke said was life, liberty, and property. He was channeling Locke, but he got messed up. He's a hippie. So when they get ready to put the Constitution together, they send him off to France. You go be an ambassador to France, and George Washington and James Madison put the Constitution together, and they set it up according to Torah. Now, one of the things that Jefferson got right, he got a lot of stuff right. I'm being obviously humorous here. He got a lot of stuff right. And one of the things that he said, not in the Declaration, he said, it is not the case that some people are born with saddles and other people are born with boots and spurs to ride them. In other words, what he's saying is aristocracies are not permanent. Furthermore, he says that when a government ceases to fulfill the purposes for which it is established, it is the right and the duty of the people that are governed to alter or abolish it. Everybody get the deal here. And the thing that they were grumpy about was the English aristocracy. Now remember I said earlier that what happens is the clever and the ruthless ones wind up running the table and having all the power and all the money. That's the way we are. God knows that's the way we are. That's why he puts these resets in there. That's where we are again. But instead of having a hereditary aristocracy, we have a hereditary bureaucracy. That's what was called the swamp. So the swamp is a catchy name and all that kind of stuff, and that's good. But one reason that Washington in the Constitution cannot be a state is because the guys that put the Constitution together know what happens. All the power comes to Washington, and all the clever people come to Washington, and they start doing stuff to amass power and wealth. That's what humans do. The people who set up the Constitution said, we know what people do, so that place is never going to be a state. 
and by the way, one of the things that's now being bandied about is making that place a state. They've got a problem with the Constitution, however. So the point I'm making is the people who live and breed in Washington are every bit a hereditary aristocracy. They marry each other, they all go to the same schools, they all learn how to go along, get along, and so forth. So in every real sense, they have become an aristocracy. And what we have done is we have said, hmm, we want you to save us. We want you to take care of us. We want you to feed us. We don't have enough food. God gives them manna. We don't have enough food. Government gives us food stamps. You understand what's going on? What's happened is our animal nature has risen up and taken over. And we have turned to government for sustenance. We want to go back to Egypt. And as I say, human nature is left to its own devices. We will listen to our animal side and we will sell ourselves back into slavery. This is not particularly anti-Washington. This is just human. So what we're supposed to do when that happens, we're supposed to look up and say, wait a minute, we need a reset here. And the reset we need is we need to break up the hereditary aristocracy. Now, the people in the revolution had an advantage. They moved to a whole new continent and left them behind. That's a big advantage. We don't have that advantage. So it's going to be harder. But understand, in God's economy, God understands who we are. He understands what we are. He understands our tendency to listen to our animal nature and to sell ourselves back into slavery. He gets it because he made us. And what he does in his Torah is he explains to us the process. All right, this is what's going to happen. Moses says it over and over. You know, at the end, you're going to get fat. You're going to sell yourselves back into slavery. It happens over and over. Our job as the current generation is to recognize where we are. That's the point. You're supposed to recognize where you are in the pattern. And what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to pop your head up and look around and say, huh, this is looking an awful lot like Egypt all of a sudden. And then you're supposed to start taking steps to come out of Egypt. And as I say, the founders of the country had a real advantage because they could move to a new continent. We don't have that advantage. So what we need to do is get rid of this hereditary bureaucracy, do a reset, and start over. That's what Jefferson said in the Declaration, that it's our right and our duty to alter or abolish a form of government when it ceases to serve our purposes. It's in our founding documents. That's the reason, by the way, for the First and the Second Amendments. As my dear departed friend Brian used to say, there's four boxes. There's a soap box where you stand up and talk. That's the First Amendment. There's the ballot box where you vote the rascals out if you can. There's the jury box where 
people can look at these laws. In fact, it happens over and over again. It's called jury nullification, where we've got cases now that are up in the courts that are obviously garbage. And what a jury is authorized to do is say, we not only don't think this guy's guilty of anything, we don't even like your law. So the jury box is the third. And then the final one is the cartridge box. And that's the Second Amendment. You really want to avoid that fourth one. Yeah, you really do. What you want to do is you want to get it solved by the soap box, the ballot box, and the jury box. And that's what is so insidious right now because our means of communication are being censored, which is to say the soap box is being cut out from under us. And as we see, the ballot box is kind of flaky. And I don't know what happened in this last election, but I know that there was enough dust that I'm suspicious. And the point is, if you get enough people who are suspicious of the process, the process breaks down, regardless of what actually happened. And I don't know what actually happened. And then, of course, we have this assault on the Second Amendment to try and take that fourth box away from us. So what I'm saying to you is, Pay attention to where we are. Look at the Torah. Look at God's word. He tells you where we are. And we have the means to remedy it. And the means to remedy it is not go along, get along. The means to remedy it is those first three boxes and one hopes, never the fourth. So, go go out and change stuff. Chama